You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. It's a great privilege for me to uh, be able to speak to to you on this occasion of your 25th anniversary. I'm actually coming to you from sunny California. Some of you will be surprised to know that I'm now the district superintendent of the Central Pacific District, and uh, just a delight to be able to uh, share a few words with you on this uh, occasion of your 25th anniversary. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, emphasized his remembrance of this fledgling congregation on the basis of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. I'm reminded of your faith, Columbia Christian Fellowship, in the Lord Jesus, and indeed your love for all the saints. It's really hard for me to imagine that you were a mere six years old when I became your district superintendent. Preparing this video, I was thinking back over the various places you've met for worship. Do you remember one in the city which required you to have church on Saturday nights in a stifling, hot, unair-conditioned building? I was also thinking of the journey that led you to meet in what was once a a kind of monastery or a nunnery. I, I well remember my first visit to see what has now become your home. Wondering to myself how a former Catholic chapel could become a suitable place for Columbia Christian Fellowship to hold services. It's amazing to see how God has worked it all out to his glory. As I reflect on CCF uh, over the last uh, 25 years, and as I think about your faith, several things stand out for me. The first one is your commitment to prayer. I remember when the mayor of Columbia was directing you to pray in hot spots around town. Not many churches have that kind of relationship with their community leadership. Secondly, your concentration on the least of them. Columbia Christian Fellowship through the last 25 years has been a place where what Jesus called the least of them have found a warm welcome. Christian love has abounded in your midst over the last 25 years. Your faithful commitment, thirdly, to live out the one another's, to be faithful in serving our Lord and loving each other. I was so encouraged to read on your website and see names of leaders I recognized. Today, we have so much transition in churches. The, the level of stability with leadership as CCF is to be highly commended. Fourthly, I'm so grateful for the outstanding ministry of Hub and Deb. Again, In a world of constant change, for a ministry couple to still be in the saddle 25 years after your founding is amazing. Hub and Deb, you have ridden the ups and downs of pastoral life and ministry. From small meeting places, uh, I remember an upstairs space across from the drugstore, it was one of those locations, to people whose lives who were filled with challenges and Uh, You'll well remember conversations we had about some of those challenges to the reality of the pandemic world. Hub and Deb, 
you are examples of what spirit-filled living is all about. You've not only talked the walk, you've walked the walk. And I highly commend you, and to you as a congregation, I continue to highly commend Hub and Deb as your pastoral couple. I'm so grateful for their ministry. Well, moving into the next 25 years is clearly challenging. No one knows what the future will be like. Over 3,000 American churches close every year. And with the pandemic, many churches have moved from thriving to surviving. Pastors are worn out, weary, and downright discouraged. Allow me to encourage you not to grow weak or faint, but to draw upon the divine life of Christ and keep pressing into Jesus for the glory of God in the church. Yes, Columbia Christian Fellowship continue in the life he supplies. And God bless you richly. And congratulations on 25 years of faithful ministry in Columbia. So that's about it for today. We took up all the time. Nope. So glad you came, Nate. It's my great privilege and pleasure to introduce our current district superintendent, Nathan Howard, and his wife, Sharon. Will you guys stand? God has used a number of district superintendents in the life of this church. And here yet again, a man of God who's been giving us direction, helped us through a lot of tough decisions during the COVID year. Nate, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Mark chapter 5, if you could turn your Bibles there. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> I think there's one thing that we always want to know in our life. One, one thing. If you reduce um, all the complexities of what's always going on, if you can answer this question at any given moment, you're going to be doing well. And the question comes really from a statement that Jesus made about his relationship with his father. He said, the father's working until this day, and I too am working. Uh, so the father loves the son and shows the son whatever he's doing, and the son joins in with what the Father is doing. That pattern is the same pattern for the way we walk through this life. You could say at any given moment, Jesus is doing something. In any given situation, he has thoughts about what's going on. He has something that's on his heart. And the number one question that we have to know and, and be able to answer in any given situation is, Jesus, what is it that you're doing here and how can I join in with you in what you're doing? COVID, uh, church celebrations, going to work tomorrow, family conflict, health crises, financial difficulties. No matter the, the circumstance, the question's always the same. Jesus, what are you doing here? And how can I join in with what you're doing? That's the key question. So I want to use Mark chapter 5 as a way to answer that question because I think that um, it's a great picture of what Jesus is always doing. And I think that it has the potential of really helping Columbia Christian Fellowship discern what's next in your future. 
Like, what does God have for you as a church as you move into your next season of ministry? So let me pray for us, and let's ask that God would allow his word to speak deeply to our heart. <clears throat> Jesus, we stand here in your presence, and you have manifest yourself in a number of ways here today. And we ask that you would be kind to us, and you would manifest yourself through your written word that as we look at it, as we meditate on it, I pray, Jesus, that we could uh, find not only what you're doing, but find how we can join in with what you're doing. So speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read the story for you. <clears throat> this is Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 1. They, that's Jesus and his disciples, uh, came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. So this is Jesus, disciples, in a boat, Sea of Galilee, cross the Sea of Galilee to the other side to this place called the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He, that, that man with the unclean spirit, lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stone. If you want to know the one thing that Jesus is constantly doing, it's pictured here in this. He crosses the sea to engage this man, and here's a man bound up in sin. So, so you could say in any given situation, Jesus has an eye on the sin that needs confronted. And this is a picture of it. And you can get a picture of, of the nature of the sin that Jesus goes after. There's, there's four characteristics. In verse 2, it says that he's unclean. So sin stains. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you just, after doing something, you just felt dirty? You just felt defiled. You just felt like someone had taken a bucket of disgusting things and dumped it inside of you. Well, that's what sin does, and it's always doing it. And Jesus actually has a heart to move towards people who are stained by sin. Sin not only stains, but sin separates. Do you see where this man's living? He's living in isolation. He's living alone. He's living among the tombs. The townspeople live elsewhere. He's isolated. He's separated himself. So there's this sense that sin always brings a relational divide. Now, here's the thing. Sin often tempts you to get a sense of meaning relationally, like to cross certain boundaries you shouldn't cross, to do things you know you shouldn't do to secure relationship, but sin always breaks down relationships. Any of you can identify with that? Number three, sin is powerful. 
Notice that the man can no longer be bound. Like sin has him so much in his grip that he has no power over the sin that is destroying his life. No one can free themselves from that sin condition. It is on you, it, is, it shackles you, and no one has the power to, to, to change that except one. Except one. And last, sin is painful, and it's painful night and day. Now, it's true that sin can seem pleasurable for a season, but um, payment always comes in. And there's always a time you have to pay for it. And the payment for sin always is painful. And a lot of us have experienced the night and day nature of the pain of sin in our life. So that's the, the first thing that I want, to see, I want you to see here is, is the nature of sin. It's, it, it stains, it separates, it's powerful, and, and it's painful. And Jesus is always on a search mission to find where that's happening, and he wants to step in. So the second thing I want you to see is not about sin. I want you to see about Jesus, about what he's like and, and what Jesus does. So the first is, you notice in verses 8 to 12, you notice how powerful Jesus is. Let's pick it up in verse 6. So when this demonized man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. That's a, that's a sign that even demons recognize the power that is on Jesus' life. He ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? His name is powerful. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So here's this one bound up in sin, sin so powerful, saying, sin is saying, don't torment me. Sin recognizes the power that Jesus has. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country or out of that region. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The picture I want you to see there is just simply of the awesome power of Jesus. Jesus has power in, in two ways. He has power that is granted to him, and he has power that he demonstrates. Jesus has both. He has been given a place of seated on the majesty on high. He sits on the throne. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he says that all authority has been given to him. There is no sin situation. There is no circumstance that Jesus looks at it and wrings his hand feeling like, I don't know what to do here. I am overwhelmed by this because he has been conferred like all, like all power has been given to him. But not only does Jesus have a power that's given to him, he has a power that he demonstrates. He has a power that he acts upon. 
power that, um, that is given to him. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So with a word, simply a word, Jesus has the power to, to cancel sin, to break the power of sin, and that's what he does with this demonized man, probably 2,000 demons in him, and Jesus says, go, and it's gone. Do you ever wish Jesus would speak a word like that over your life? You know the stain of sin. You know the separation of sin. You know the, the pain of sin. You know the power of sin. You ever come to a place where you just long for Jesus to look you in the eyes and say to that sin that you're dealing with, go away. That's the power of Jesus. The first thing I want you to see about Jesus is his power. The second thing I want you to see about Jesus is his care. Is kindness. You know, it's one thing to be powerful, but power without kindness could be terrorizing. Kindness without power is pathetic. Who wants to run to a Savior who's kind, who's powerless? But who wants to run to a Savior who's powerful if he's not kind? Jesus demonstrates both. You say, Nate, where do you see the kindness here? you got to get the big picture of the story. Verse 1, you see, is Jesus crossing a sea. He travels all the way across the sea with his disciples, and he shows up, steps out of the boat. He's confronted with this man. You'll see he deals with the man very powerfully, very effectively. Listen to this. As soon as he gets done dealing with that man, do you know what Jesus does? He gets back into the boat and he leaves. Did you get the message? I'll say it again. Jesus traveled across the sea in a boat with his disciples. He gets out of the boat. He deals with one man. When he's done dealing with the man, he gets back in the boat and he leaves. Did you get the message? Jesus traveled across a sea, stepped out of the boat, dealt with one individual. When he was done dealing with that one individual, he got back in the boat and he left. Did you get the message? Jesus would travel across the sea for one person. Jesus sees someone who's in need and who is in isolation. And Jesus says, I'm willing to make the journey for one. He demonstrates his power and he leaves. I, I got to say, could it be that, that God sent me here today for one, that there's one person who's under the power of sin, who is under the influence of sin, who is shackled by sin, who knows the pain of sin, the isolation of sin, and you need to hear a word that your Jesus cares about the one. He cares by coming. He cares by drawing close. But I, I want you to see something else in Jesus' care. It's not just that he, he cares for that one, but I, I want you to see something else here. So let's, let's continue here, verse 14. And um, 
Actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit because there's this word that's repeated over and over in this story. That's, that's, uh, it just stands out. And it's the word beg or begged, past tense. You see it four times in the text. And typically, in, in, especially in a gospel story like this, when the, when the writer uses the same word over and over, that's their megaphone. That's the microphone. That's the way of like, you, you got to hear this. And so it's just repeated over and over. Like, like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Like he's not repeating truly because he didn't remember he said it. He's, he's repeating it for emphasis. So the word begged is used four times. Now, now look at the story that comes about the care of Jesus through the word beg. So the first time it's found is in, in verse 10 and verse 11, where it's the demons that are begging. The demons are begging in verse 10 and 11. Now, we'll keep on going in the story because um, in verse 17, it's the townspeople that are begging. Let me, let me pick it up in verse 14. So the herdsmen fled... So these are the herdsmen that were taking care of the 2,000 pigs. The herdsmen fled and told it, told the story of what had happened in the city and in the country. And people came to see what, what it was that had happened. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus. This is the townspeople. They come to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Now here it is, verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to what? To leave. Could you imagine if Jesus came into this room right now and he did something miraculous in front of you? Like, you know, there's two kinds of, of people that are in a church service on a given Sunday morning. There are those that are obviously messed up. You know, you can see them. Like, if you would just start looking around the room, you'd probably identify them. Like, there's the messed one over there. Like, every church service has people that are obviously messed up. And then there's a second category of people in a church service. They're equally messed up. They're just as broken, but they hide it well. Now, imagine Jesus stepping in this room, and he takes the most messed up of, the, of, of Columbia Christian Fellowship, and in your midst, right there, says, with a word, and, and heals, transforms, changes, breaks the power of sin in that one person's life. And then the entire church would say, Jesus, thank you. Would you just leave? I mean, that's, that's counterintuitive. Like, you wouldn't do that. If you saw the power and the kindness of Jesus displayed before, you would say, Jesus, can you touch me? Jesus, can you come? Can I have a come? They didn't do that. In the same way that the demons begged him. Now the townspeople beg him, would you leave? Keeping the story, beg's going to be used one more time. And the point that I want to make is this actually demonstrates the kindness of Jesus. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, here it is, begged him that he might be with him. 
The townspeople beg him to leave. The, the man who had been healed begs him, Jesus, can I just hang out with you? Can I just stay? Can I get in that boat with you? Can, can, I, can I be on your team? Like, I don't, I don't know if you're making, like, you got applications out for new disciples, but I would, I would like to be a follower of Jesus. I would, I would like to walk with you. I'd like to stay with you. I'd, I'd like more of this. Jesus, honestly, like, I'm a little bit terrorized, like, by not being with you. I mean, you, you saw what I was. You saw the change. You saw the pain. I've been cutting myself with stones. I'm a mess, Jesus. I'm broken. And now you've just stepped into my life, and you're going to walk away. Please, I'm begging you, Jesus, can I go with you? I told you this is a story of the kindness of Jesus. Look what he does. Verse 19. Jesus did not permit him. In Jesus' kindness, he told the man, No. And and look what he says to him. Go home to your friends. Did he have any friends? (laughs) Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, hold on to that word, in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him And here's the end of the story. Remember the townspeople, when they saw what Jesus did, they were afraid and asked him to leave. Now the demonized guy goes, who's healed, and he tells a story. And everyone marvels. The the word marvel there in, in the Greek language is the word from which we get our word trauma. They were They were traumatized by it, not in a negative way. Like to put it in natural terms, what people did was they went, wow. You kind of wonder like (laughs) two things. Like why would Jesus send this guy to be his messenger? Did he have any like theological training? (laughs) Did he have like any biblical knowledge? Like, do you ever feel like when Jesus sends you on a mission that he's picked the wrong person? Like, because you're not qualified enough to do what Jesus asked you to do? Like, if ever there was a guy who was not qualified, it was this guy. Did he even have clothes? I mean, he ran around naked all the time. He had a bad reputation. Like, everybody was afraid of him. Like, he lived in isolation, and now he becomes, he says, Jesus says, you, man, you are the one that I want. What did, like, what was his message? I think I mean, Jesus kind of gives him the outline, tell him the, the marvelous things that God has done in your life. So I think this was his message. <clears throat> Ready? Three points. Number one, you saw what I was. Actually, it's four points. Mm-hmm. You saw what I was. You see what I am now. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested in that? Can you say that with me? Here's the guy's simple message. You saw what I was. You see what I am. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? That was the guy's message. Now, I said that this demonstrates Jesus' care. The guy begged him, saying, 
Jesus, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my follow-up. I know what's best as a next step in my life. And the best thing for me is to get into that boat and travel with you. And Jesus said, actually, you don't know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. And for you to live out the destiny for your life. You see, God the Father designed you. He knits you together. God has known everything about your life and who you are to become. And though sin has been powerful in your life, when Jesus sends you on a mission, it's because he knows what's best for you. And you may feel absolutely disqualified. You may feel like you you just don't have what it takes, but Jesus cares and he knows what's best for your own development and destiny so he sends you on a journey that you would never choose so that you would become what you've always longed to be he sends the guy he says no to him because he cares because he didn't want what was second best for the man he wanted what was best for the man so he sent him jesus said no because he cared But it didn't end there. To really wrap up the story, we've got to go to chapter 8. Chapter 8 of Mark. If you would look there, I'm actually going to... Well, it says on the screen what chapter 8 is about. Chapter 8 is about the feeding of the 4,000. But there's a little detail to this story that's easily missed. So you've got to ask yourself, where did the feeding of the 4,000 happen? And where did the 4,000 people come from? Okay? That's the question that we're going to ask. This is going to tie together. So you go to the end of chapter 7, and it describes where it is. Do you pick it up? Then he returned from the the region of Tyre, which is way on the, the Mediterranean coast, a long ways away, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, And into the region of the what? The Decapolis. Have you heard that word before? When Jesus sent the man to go back to his friends, where did he send them? He sent them to the Decapolis. In in other words, the ministry of this man was to the very region where Jesus was later going to show up to perform the miracle of the 4,000. But where did the 4,000 come from? Do you remember what these people were like the last time Jesus was in the area? These are the very same people that begged him, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. These are people that are not Jewish. Do you know how they're not Jewish? How do you know they're not Jewish? What kind of herds do they have? Swine, pigs. These are not Jewish people. Jewish people don't eat pigs, don't touch pigs, aren't around pigs. They're like disgusted by pork. The Decapolis is made up of people that are international people. They are not Jewish people. But Jesus cares about the outsiders. Jesus cares about those that are neglected, that those are not receiving the things of God. So Jesus moves towards the Decapolis who at first reject him. And he says, how am I going to get their interest? How, Jesus asked himself, how am I going to go into a region where at first they all reject me? And later there's 4,000 who are, 
are so interested in me that they will sit around and listen to Jesus talk and talk and talk and talk and talk until they're hungry and they're too far to go get food. That's the feeding of the 4,000. How is it that they develop such interest in Jesus? And the answer is simple, because he sent one changed individual who went all through the Decapolis. And he said, y'all saw what I was. You see what I am. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? And the answer of their interest was so high that 4,000 gathered. Jesus cared about those 4,000. So he sent them to tell, their story, to tell the story. I'd like to have the worship team come on up. I hope you can hear I hope you can hear a message from God in this for Columbia Christian Fellowship. I hope you can hear a message for yourself. So let me kind of drive home two points. Number one, <clears throat> listen to me very carefully. If you are here today or if you're listening to me today and you identify with the power of sin in your life, with the stain of sin in your life, with the isolation of sin in your life, that you cannot get out of it. If you identify with that and, and you're longing for a Savior, something rises up in you as you hear that story. You say, would Jesus help me? I want you to know the answer is yes. And before you leave this place today, I encourage you to talk to Pastor Hub, talk to me, talk to one of the elders here and say, I need the power of Jesus to change my life. Would you do that? That's the first message I want to drive on. But here's the second message. Do you all realize that the, the nation that we live in is like the Decapolis? You recognize that? We, we live increasingly, though, though our, our currency says in God we trust, increasingly in our nation there is an anti-God rhetoric. There's an anti-God push. We're, we're the nation that if Jesus would show up, at, collectively we would beg him to leave. That's our current situation. And I want to say two things about the, the greater Columbia region, Lancaster, York County. I want to say two things about that. Jesus cares for places like this. Just like he did for the Decapolis, he cares. And his method always to turn the hearts of people is by sending individuals who've been transformed by the power of Jesus to tell their story. I was so glad to be here at the beginning of your service to hear a number of you say, Jesus changed my life here. Jesus changed my life here. That's all you have to do. There's more that needs to be done, but all you have to do is do what this guy did. You just need to say, you, you saw what I used to be. You see what I am now. You know Jesus has made that difference. Are you interested in that? And you just keep on telling your story over and over and over. Like someone said, you plant seeds. Who said that? Did you say, you plant seeds. 
You saw what I was. You see I am. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? So Jesus, as Columbia Christian Fellowship enters into their next season, would you help them become aware of, Jesus, what you're like and what you're doing? And the truth is you're always confronting sin and you're always doing it in a kind way. You're always, you're always sending us. You always have hope. So for these people, for this greater region, I pray for a manifold impact of the gospel that you would use these people to do that. In your precious name we pray. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.